0: Thank you, Father, for the incredible privilege that we can say yes to everything that you have for us. And Lord, this morning we want to say yes to you, Jesus, our King. We want to say yes to the salvation that you freely offering to us. We want to say yes to the kingdom of God over our lives, the, the, the kingship and the government of God over our lives. We want to say yes to the purpose and the plans that you have for us. We want to say yes. We want to to throw ourselves into what it is that you have for us. Before we were born, you knew us, you set us apart, you called us. And this is the time that you're calling us to say yes to what you have for us. As we listen to your word this morning, Lord, I pray for my eyes to be opened, for our hearts to be opened, and Lord, for you to blow apart every bit of limitation we put on you. Let us see you clearly. Let us hear you so clearly this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So welcome to Rise Up Week 2, and... um, we are spending these five weeks coming up uh, um, just talking about good government, good decisions, making good choices, and I would, I would almost call it not just good choices, but godly choices. Um, and we've been looking more than just looking at the expert details of how to make good choices. We've been looking at the grid of our hearts, we've been looking at the filter of our hearts, because generally the decision making process comes from our hearts. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to see people saying yes for what God has for them. And if you've said yes since last week and you're finding a little bit of pushback from the enemy, I'm encouraging you just to stand your ground on what God is telling you. Um, keep saying yes to what he has for you. I'm praying definitely over these couple of weeks that there'd be a deep heart response from us to what it is that God is saying. And, um, so these five areas we've looked at, your faith life, your family life, your friendships, your finances, and your future. And for me, um, each one of those is just, we could elaborate a bit more on them, but our faith life is our spiritual walk with God. It's your call of God. It's what He He's called you to be and to do, His purpose. Your family life is your marriage, your children, your cousin brothers, your everybody that's extended in your family. Your friendships is your partnerships and relationships. Your finances for me is your resources, how we make decisions around these things. And we've been talking about this grid. And so if you could take, for example, your faith and put it through these five questions, ask yourself the decisions I'm making, are they good for short term or long term? Um, Is it made out of love or out of fear? It should be there, Arnie, is it? Yeah. Welcome Arnold from trials. Um, Does it glorify God or does it glorify me? Is it based on the Word of God or is it based on my feelings and my experience? Just think about that. Take each one of those areas in your life and ask yourself, the decisions I'm making in my spiritual walk with God how do I answer these questions? And if you answer them, I believe they'll set our life on a specific direct direction. It'll put your family life in a certain direction. It'll put your finances and your resources in a certain direction. And that's what we want to do. We want to make those decisions that if we keep making good decisions, we, we end up in a place that God wants for us. Today, this part of the message, and you'll be surprised when you make those small decisions how they can sometimes unlock the supernatural power of God. Like Julian says, you you do a small thing. Thank you, Marcel. Like say yes, and look where you land up. On the streets, telling people about Jesus. I mean, I think that's amazing. And what God can do from that, who knows? Destinies can be changed. So today... Um, The little phrase I have for us is to stay on track or staying on track, making decisions that help us to stay on track. And I think the Church of Jesus Christ right now in this time, the decisions we make will have an impact on our generation. One day when we sit in eternity and we watch the movie of Earth and our little life, the choices we're making as the Church of Jesus Christ right now will have an impact on this generation and how it will go down in history and the nations of the world, the choices we make today. And so today our, our, the, the theme is staying on track. And I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to start off with. It says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Turn to your friend and you know we preach together and say, trust God from the bottom of your heart say it with conviction. (laughs) Do not try and figure out everything on your own. And this is speaking to me because I think like I I like to have things figured out. I like to know what's going on. I like to understand what I'm in for. I like to know when I say yes, what am I saying yes to? Because most forms you sign, there's a whole lot of small letters that you don't read and it's like five paragraphs and then When you sign, you don't realize what you're saying yes to. I like to know what I'm saying yes to. I like to figure things out. I I, I like that. But it says, listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He is the one that will keep you on track. And I love this verse because it says that we need to trust someone other than ourselves to keep us on track. Because even if you have everything figured out, and even if you know what you're doing, somehow, I'm not able to keep myself on track. I need God to keep me on track. Now, many of you will know people who start off really well in life. Many of you will know people who have started off really well in their Christian walk, in their faith walk, in their family Remember when they got married and it was all excited and they started off so well. Maybe in friendship, started off so well, but didn't end off so well. And it looked like they had everything going for them. And so I take note of the scripture because it says I need to trust God from the bottom of my heart. And, and today the one thing I want to add to the grid from last week is trust in God. Trust. That's the word we're going to look at. And um, we're going to look at two different kings, just compare them. And so we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. You're going to read that with me. And if you're taking part in this interactive thing that we do during the week, we're going to send you more of those scriptures and you're going to have reading to do for yourself. But I, I want to say that you make decisions completely different when you trust God And when you don't trust God, your family decisions, your financial decisions, your faith decisions, your friendship decisions, and your future, you make them completely different when you trust God and when you don't trust God. Make sense? And just before we move on, just so you don't get all new agey on me, I... I'm not saying that the decisions we make in ourselves have, you know, harness your inner power to decide what you want your destiny to. I'm not saying that stuff. What I'm saying is the decisions we make can either release the kingdom of heaven or not. And in Matthew chapter 16, you remember that in the last while we've been preaching on building God's house, but in verse 19, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid, this is the NLT, on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, so you understand that the power of governing is not that I have the power itself, it's that I say yes to something Perfect and powerful, it's the kingdom of heaven operating and manifesting in my life, or not. Does that make sense? So when we're saying, like, good government, we're not saying, like, I have the power to choose for myself. No, I have the power to say yes to what God wants, but I also have the power to not permit that to operate in my life. How's that? You can forbid, and you can permit. Those are words of authority that release. One is to allow... So by the choices you make, you're either going to allow kingdom of heaven to manifest, or you're going to forbid, you're going to stop the kingdom of heaven from operating in your life. Are you there? I also want to say this about decision making, just in case you think like, I'm this kind of guy, like I don't like to get into trouble. Maybe it's because when I was younger, I got a lot of it. And so... I generally think this good decision-making is so that I don't get into trouble. Do you know what I mean? It's a kind of a defensive thing. I want to I make sure I'm making good decisions because I don't want, it's like a defensive thing. I don't want trouble. I don't want problems. But actually decision-making in this case can be a very positive and offensive thing. Not offensive like the offense Ronel was speaking, offensive. Is it spelled the same, Leith, our word person? Craig's in uh, Mauritius, son. Can someone send him a text? But offensive means it's actually, you see, because there's something worse than a bad decision. You know what that is, right? No decision. Because if you don't make a decision about your faith, someone else will. If you don't make a decision about your family, if you're waiting for something to happen in your marriage that's going to change, chances are, it's going to get worse. If you wait, if you're just passive, so so we're not talking about a passive... Wait and see what's going to happen. You see, if the church of Jesus Christ right now, if that's our approach. um, Remember Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21. Elijah went to the people. I mean, he's calling down fire. He says, how long will you go between these two? If Baal is Baal, then worship him. If God is God, then worship him. I mean, you've just seen fire come down and they're like, "Uh, duh. No response. They say nothing. They don't even like, uh, we think, ball that nothing. And I want to just say, passivity is not going to ever bring the kingdom of God. What we do will either forbid the kingdom from coming, or it will release the kingdom coming. Is that all right? Am I getting worked up? I'm going to call, no, I'm not going to call down fire because we have a fire specialist here and fire extinguishers and everything is good. I'm not saying, I'm not saying be impulsive and just in these five weeks make a whole lot of decisions just, you know, impulsively. I'm saying remember that God has given us power to permit And to forbid the kingdom from coming in certain areas in our lives. And it takes us to rise up, like uh, Ezra said. It's in your hands. Some of it is up to you to decide. What are you going to release, the kingdom of heaven or not? And whatever else that is. So usually, you know how I preach, I usually go to the story and pick some things out, but before we read about these two kings, I'm going to give you four things. I'm going to give you four things, okay? Where's Arnold? Okay, four things. He's running trials, you didn't notice, there were five fingers. Four things that reflect your trust. Four things that reflect your trust. So I know that we often say, I trust God for this. I'm trusting God for that. I'm trusting. But but our trust is reflected in four things. Number one, where are you looking? Now, let me give you a little illustration. All right. Let's say, for example, you just got married. And uh, thank you, Arnold. You can put me back on. Otherwise, the online guys just thank you. Let's say you just got married, all right? And I say to you, I'm going to do a photo shoot with you. We're going to go down to the beach. And you're going to stand on the rocks with the sea behind you. And I'm going to take these beautiful pictures. But I want you to look at me because I'll tell you if a wave comes or not. <laughs> You've seen those videos, right? Where you look will tell me whether you trust me or you don't trust me. That's a simple illustration, but we could use other ones. But I want to say, where you're looking right now actually is a reflection of what you're trusting. If you, and I mean we could be looking at all kinds of things, the news, we could be looking at the circumstances, we could be looking at the world, we could be looking at, you know, ourself, some people are self-obsessed, but let's just say this, if everything in your faith life is about you, your eyes are probably on you. In other words, if you're praying because of how it impacts you, if you're praying because it affects you, Let's talk about your family life. If it's only about how the relationship impacts you, probably your eyes are more on you than on anything else. And that reflects who you trust. Is that okay? That's a funny thing, because if you look at something, it becomes bigger and bigger. (laughs) No, let me say it differently. Where your eyes are becomes more, you, you lose focus of the things on the periphery and that thing becomes more focused. I don't know if, you, if you're catching what I'm saying. Hebrews 12 verse 2, therefore fix your eyes on Jesus. That means my eyes can drift from him. I can look elsewhere and it will reflect my trust. And today we're just talking about trust because if I trust God, I'll stay on track. If I trust God, he's the one that will keep me on track. One day when I'm 86, God willing, and you're there, I hope I'm still serving Jesus the way I'm serving Jesus today. What a waste of a life if I serve Jesus all the way up to here and then mess it up. The second um, thing that reflects your trust is your worship life. Now, when I say worship, I don't necessarily mean what we do on a Sunday morning. We come, and, and please, we are honestly thinking of a fine system here at City Life. If you say you're coming to church, you, you might have to put something in the fine job, because we are the church. So our language is super important. And so what we got to do is we don't, I don't believe that we come to worship. This is just me. I believe we worship 24-7 because I believe God created us to worship. It's just what we worship and who we worship and how we worship that's different. But we were created to worship. And worship is actually the things that you love and obsess over. Worship is not this duty you come and do. We come to worship, we sing those songs, and then we go home. You're still worshiping. That's why uh, uh, Romans chapter 12 says, Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. What you do with your... You can move chairs, and it can be worship. It can be worship because we're worshiping all the time. And so... People obsess about different things. They obsess about their money. They obsess about cars, their positions, their possessions. Even about their pain and their hurt. You know, some people like to come and worship at the altar of their pain. That's that's their devotion. That's their affection. Now, I don't know about you. All those things that God gives us to enjoy are not a problem. Until we elevate it to God's status. Once we elevate it to God's status, it places a demand in our life. Now remember, we're going to read through these two kings. You don't know who they are. And I'm wanting you to see these things in their lives. And how it took their heart from one direction and turned their hearts. And one king started off really, really well and ended off really bad. And another didn't start so well, but actually ended up, ended up quite well. You know, when we worship and I sing, I, I often, most times when I'm standing here, <laughs> we sing about this living hope. I just get so carried away. Half the time, I'm picking myself up off the floor because I'm so... That's why I don't worship only here. I'll go worship by myself in the kitchen because, yeah, you know, it's hair and makeup and everything else. But I tell you, man, if you truly... You you can't worship Jesus without being absolutely floored by him. He is phenomenal. I'm not talking about average. I'm talking about, you know, that's why it's important for us to worship together. Because the more you worship, the worse it gets. I mean, like, it's like when you're worshiping the right thing, which is Jesus, which is God, who we were created to worship for You just can't wait to worship more. And so worship is a key thing for us. It's a key thing that reflects your trust. What you obsess over and what you're devoted to and what you love, that is what you worship. We can't say we're worshiping something else, but our devotion and our affection and our love is for something else. Impossible. Because worship comes from what we love and adore. You're doing all right. Thirdly, your trust is reflected in who you surrender to. Can you surrender? Can you submit to another person's will? This is the scary part of trust. It's the scary part of trust that you are not always in control. And some people only trust themselves. But remember what... Proverbs 3 said, you have to trust God from the bottom of your heart because he's the only one who can keep you on track. And so my atheist friends often say to me, oh, yeah, this trust God thing, this trust God thing, what are you talking about? And I say, well, we, 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 you can't trust God. You've got to trust yourself. It's, it's the opposite of what I'm saying here. And I say to them, well, look at what we do. Look at the world we've created for ourselves and you want to trust your life in your own hands or in someone else's hands. We need God to keep us on track and we're going to go south very quickly. And if you're from Cape Town, it's right to come from the south. What I mean is we're going to go off track. Enemy wants to knock us off track. Situations want to get us off track constantly. It's only God who can keep us on track. And lastly, trust is reflected in our prayer life. And again, can I just redefine prayer? Prayer is not the list of things you bring to God that you really want Him to do for you. It's not prayer. Prayer is leaning into God relationally. It's realigning yourself with God's heart and God's will. Like Proverbs 3 says, that's actually where you hear God's voice. Prayer is more about hearing than about telling God what he should be doing. It's aligning yourself, hearing the heart of God, listening to God. And can I say this, that your prayer reflects how much you trust and depend on God. So, R.T. Kendall used to say when he spoke to preachers Imagine before you get up to preach, if on the screen at the back it shows up how, how much time you've prayed this week. How confidently would you, if it said three minutes? Our prayer life shows our dependence on God. Are we good? We're talking about trust. And so when we say we trust God, these are the things that that it's reflected in. Okay. Now I want to say how you answer those four questions will either lead you to a disaster or through every disaster. Where your eyes are, what your worship looks like, what you surrender to and your prayer life will either lead you to a disaster or it will lead you through every disaster so let's look at these kings first one is solomon and you can see from The passages of scripture that you read about Solomon, and we don't have time to look at all of this. We're going to pick out a few, but 1 Kings chapter 1 to chapter 11, and 2 Chronicles chapter 1 to 9 speaks about Solomon. Solomon had a good father, he had a good dad, who had a heart after God's own heart. A heart after God's own heart is what he got from his dad, is what he got from his family. I mean, he he governed well, he had a good prayer life, but if there's a word that I can use to describe Solomon's life, it would be, I say comfortable, some people say comfortable. I don't know what's the right pronunciation. Comfort is the hallmark Of Solomon's life and I want to say this in comfort be careful be careful when we're comfortable in our faith life be careful when you're comfortable in your family life comfort be careful and I'll tell you why I say that Uh, 1 Peter 2 11 friends this world is not your home tell your friend this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. So I'm going to say something, and I know you're not going to like it, so I'm going to say, try and say it nicely. <laughs> but when we follow Jesus, the whole of the kingdom of heaven is not necessarily focused on my comfort. Now, I'm going to say some things here, and I might be reflecting your prayer life and what you've been asking God for your whole life. (laughs) But can I just say, be cautious. You see, if the church right now is making decisions based on comfort, our future could be in trouble. Solomon had peace and safety, Um, 1 Kings 4.25. During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. Solomon never knew what it was like to to, to have his life in danger. He never fought a battle in his life. He didn't know what it was like to feel unsafe and have to trust God for your safety. No, I heard a, a buzz. Is it not me? Okay. Secondly, Solomon had wealth and riches. If you read one Kings chapter ten, verse twenty one, all of Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as was all his utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. How's that? All your silverware would be like the plastic stuff you get at the airport. Throw away. I mean, his cup was gold. I mean, he never knew what it was like to battle, ever. Huh? I mean, he just, just had all the money and wealth and riches you could ever want. And That's what I'm saying. Some of you are saying, hey, that's my prayer list you got up there. <laughs> <laughs> Safe, secure, <laughs> wealthy... <laughs> Golden cup, maybe, yeah. Thirdly, I mean, Solomon had all the answers. You know, when the Queen of Sheba came, and I'm reading this from the Bible, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 3, Solomon had answers for all her questions. He had such wisdom that there was never a time that he didn't know what to do. How's that? It says here, um, nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, she saw the palace he built, she was overwhelmed. She was amazed at the food on his table, the organization of his officials, the splendid clothing, the cupbearers, and the burnt offering Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. His, even his worship was so impressive. She was overwhelmed. He had no questions about faith, about government. I mean, this is Solomon, right? You're doing all right? I mean, he had fame and adoration. Everyone wanted to be with him. I know your list. This is your list, I'm sure. It's my <laughs> everyone adored him everyone wanted to be with him everyone wanted his company it's never a time when solomon ever felt like i'm out not in the, in, in the circle like everyone always wanted to be with him everyone just hung on to every word that came out of his mouth oh lord that's such breakthrough he had security and protection It says that Solomon built up a huge force of chariots. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. I mean, this guy had an army like none. He had insurance. We're talking about trust. Talking about trust. And without trust in God... Hard to stay on track. I don't think God had a problem with these things, but if you're going to have them, if you're praying for this, you better be praying. Oh Lord, keep me on track. And then he had all the pleasures. It says Solomon loved, remember the word worship, Solomon loved foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, Bonbon. I don't know, whatever, Don. And it says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. I would say he was a little bit obsessed. Would you think? Yeah, It's in the Bible, don't look at me like that. Uh oh, no porcupines. <laughs> the people looking after our words are going... <laughs> if you have all of that, if you have all of that... Now, you know what's my challenge here? My challenge is, first of all, Solomon, are you using the grid that we spoke about last week? Because one of those things we don't... Just go on your feelings or experience, but make sure that you're making a decision based on the Word of God. And if you had to look at the Word of God carefully, God said, don't build up a big army. There's a reason for that. Why, Solomon, do you need the insurance? When all of, if all of this is from God, why do you need the, the, I'm not talking, don't cancel your insurance. I'm talking about why do you need the army? I realize what it means might mean. Why do you need this backup plan? God clearly warned him, don't marry, yeah, because they will turn your heart away from me. God clearly warned him. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9, here is what I'm saying. When God said this, it, uh, it is a land that God wants to bring us to where the food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone. God saw this coming. And copper is a, uh, abundant in the hills. And whenever you've eaten your full. be sure to praise the Lord your God. You see what God says? When you're comfortable, make sure that your worship is the same as when you're not comfortable. And make sure your prayer life stays the same. Because that's the safeguard. It's the reflection of trust in God. Can you see that? And it's amazing how we are. When things are tough, we're crying out to God. When things are comfortable, we're like... Yo, I'm, I'm, I'm really handling this. <laughs> I got this. Sorry, God, do you need help? Do you need anything? Or is it just me? We have these two kings inside of us. And I, I, I have to say this. I'm sad to say. Success will be your biggest challenge, sir, ma'am. I see many, many people of God right now coming off the tracks. Not because they're not successful. Because they're successful. God's not against success. You hear me? God said, make sure you praise the Lord for the good land he's given you. But at that time, be careful. I mean, God said it how many times? Be careful. Be careful. When you're comfortable in your, in your relationship with God, be careful. That's the time. Beware that in your plenty you don't forget the Lord. Have you ever forgotten to pray? Alright, go and read that. Be careful. The shocking thing I read about Solomon is what we don't usually preach about Solomon, and this is this. In 1 Kings 11 verse 4, in Solomon's old age, notice how this takes time. It takes time. But if you don't trust God, you start making decisions differently. You take your eyes off Him, you start to worship other things. Your prayer life changes and your trust, actually, you surrender to other things. In his old age, they, the thousand porcupines <laughs> turned his heart, turned his heart. Remember, decision-making, we' are said, is from the heart, not from the head. Solomon had everything he needed, but the heart got turned. Because his eyes were on something that he was obsessed with. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, uh, his God, as his father David had been, listen to this verse 5. Solomon worshipped Asherah. We we don't associate that with Solomon. We rather read the beautiful prayers early on in Solomon when he was building God's temple... And he was praying this wonderful prayer. If people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, I will hear. That comes from Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple of God. Here we read he worshipped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Detestable god of the Ammonites. Parasites and... We're writing our own version, yeah. Man, I tell you, there are things that, we, we, that God wants us to have. But, it, you know, you can love many things. You can love your pain. You can love power. You can love pleasure. You can love... But when you become obsessed with them and your eyes are only on them... Be careful because they can turn our eyes away. And some of the things we're even praying and trusting God for, don't let those things become the thing. Is that all right? How's this verse? 1 Kings 11 verse 7. On a east hill of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab. What happened? Heart turned. Decisions changed. I, I'm not judging this man, but I'm guessing who he trusted. Because God warned him. And he, he said, I think I know better. Go read the story. He trusted himself. Didn't trust God. Went off track. Alright. What's the result? Like I said, how you answer those questions will either lead you to disaster or it will lead you through every disaster. One of the two. But there's no middle ground. And so where does it lead him? 1 Kings 11 verse 11. So the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant, disobeyed my, dec- my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Do you know that Israel's kingdom was divided from Solomon's time on because of what Solomon chose to do? Kingdom divided. And God didn't give the kingdom to a son of Solomon. He gave it to a servant, Jeroboam, who actually, this guy's mom was a widow. He was a rebel. He introduced calf worship. In case you're worshiping my calves, no, anyway, I was just like, go away. Golden calf. In, I mean, this guy. If you read Kings, you will constantly read, And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Jeroboam. He becomes the guy by which evil and wickedness is measured to. The guy who takes over from Solomon. Steals the kingdom from him. Ah, oh, and then. 1 Kings eleven fourteen. 14. Then the Lord raised up Hadad the Edomite, a member of Edom's royal family to be Solomon's adversary. 1 Kings 11.23, God also raised up Rezin from some place as Solomon's adversary. What does God do? God, the kingdom divides. God begins to raise up an adversary. How's that? God's trying to help him. Another rebel leader was Jeroboam. There you see, the, the son of A bat. One of Solomon's (laughs) officials. That was naughty. Knee bat. Man, I tell you. Oh, Lord, help me. You know what's the saddest thing about Solomon is I never read, that's how his story ends. I never read of Solomon saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Just persists and pushes right to the end. That's how it's recorded. That's how he That's what's recorded. Eyes got taken off, heart was turned, worship changed, prayer life changed. You know how his prayer life changed? It ended up being like just burning incense and offering sacrifices. That prayer of the heart, that relationship gone. All right, let's look at the other guy. And um, we're probably going to run out of time in five minutes. But 1 Kings 22, you can read that chapter. Second Chronicles 17-20. to 20. We'll send it to you through the week if you're wondering. But Jeho- Jehoshaphat, um, actually, it didn't start so well. In 1 Kings 22, King Ahab from Israel, the kingdom is now split in two. He says, let's go to war. Jehoshaphat says, let's just ask God, let's inquire from God. And the one prophet from God says, don't go. But Jehoshaphat doesn't trust God fully yet. And so he goes with Ahab. Ahab's a wicked king. They lose the battle. And Jehoshaphat, by the grace of God, escapes that battle, stays alive. Amazing. But then we see, um, the story I want to read is in in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. Let's just read through this. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Munites stop it declared war on jehoshaphat messengers came and told jehoshaphat a vast army of edom is marching up against you beyond the dead sea they already at hazards on tamar Uh, verse 3 jehoshaphat was terrified at the news and he begged the lord for guidance he begged the lord for guidance you see this is trust He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Now notice this. In verse 5 of chapter 20, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple, and he prayed. Well, prayer reflects your trust in God. How about verse 12? Our God, won't you stop them? We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do. But we are looking to you. Notice his prayer life. Notice where he's looking for answers, where he's looking for help. There's this big problem, but his eyes are on God. Just saying, compare the two. Thirdly, in chapter 20, verse 18, King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshipping the Lord. I mean, it's all there. You go and read that story of Jehoshaphat. And then a prophet comes in verse 15 and says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged by this army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Remember what we said, you can either forbid or you can permit the kingdom of heaven to fight on your behalf in your family, in your faith, in your future, in all of those areas. Jehoshaphat's got his eyes on God. He's praying. He's worshiping. And here comes this prophetic word, tomorrow march out against them. Now, if I was Jehoshaphat, honestly, if you look at the story, he didn't have the money. He didn't have the army. He didn't have the ability. He didn't have anything Solomon had. And now the word of God comes to him and says, March out against this army. That's completely overwhelming. I would have said, like, can we not just think about it? I'm sure we can figure this out. And so what happens early the next morning? And this is the surrender part of Jehoshaphat. He says, okay, I'll, I'll trust. I'll keep my eyes on God. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to surrender to his will. I'm actually going to do it. In verse 20, early the next morning, the army of Jehoshaphat went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you'll succeed. I love that. He says, believe it. Let's do it. And then verse 21, for all the band guys, after consulting with the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Band guys? (laughs) I mean, there's a plan. We're going to march out against this massive army. Let's just send the singers in the front. (laughs) (sighs) Singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Well, this is a massive Show of trust and surrender. You know why Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter is to make an alliance. No alliances here. My eyes are on you. My worship belongs to you. My insurance is with you. My surrender is to you. And off they went. Um, Listen here, what they sang. Singing to the Lord and praising Him for His splendor. They're not even singing like, This is how I fight my battle. They're not even doing that. They're just praising God for who He is. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we think the songs like, I don't know. I, I got saved with songs that sing about what God can do for you. They're just praising God for who He is. It's an amazing thing. they just they caught up in like what I said earlier. But they're just like, He's so amazing. He's look at His splendor. And it says here, the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab to start fighting among themselves. It's an amazing story. They kill everyone. When they come, they come to strip the plunder. It's an amazing thing. The last verse, and we're done, because this is so amazing. After this, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard, the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel. The last verse there, Second um, Chronicles 20, verse 29 on When all the surrounding kingdoms heard the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came on them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Let's stand together. The decisions we make can either release this kingdom of heaven that is unstoppable. The biggest army on earth, unstoppable against the kingdom of heaven. But our decisions can forbid or permit that kingdom to operate in our faith, our family, our finances, our future, our friendships. Let's trust God today. He's worthy of our trust. We can rely on Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you shattered our pride because you don't want us to trust in ourselves. You want us to trust you from the bottom of our hearts. To listen to your voice wherever we go, whatever we do, to listen. And you are the one who will direct our paths, who will keep us on track. We trust you. Put our eyes back on you. We want to see Jesus more than we see what's going on around us. We want to always see Jesus. That's where the answer comes from. And I know, Lord, if we see you, our worship flows from that. Our prayer life will be on fire. And Lord, we'll surrender to you even when we can't figure it all out. We will trust you. And we'll go with what you say because we know that's going to release the kingdom of heaven. I pray right now for every person that might be doing well right now in our comfort. We'll be cautious, Lord. But in our calamity, we'll be courageous. Today, Lord, we make bold decisions. Put the singers first. I'm going to just worship, Lord, even when it feels like everything around me needs my attention. I'm going to give my attention to you, trusting Lord for something of the kingdom of heaven to be released through the church at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you haven't signed up for the the online thing, just scan that code. It's really cool. Or ask um, Jaden. We'll post. No, we won't. But she can help you to sign up. We just send up a little bit of reading, a little bit of interaction. God bless you. Have a great, great week. We'll see you at prayer meeting 6.30 on Tuesday. Remember to collect your children from downstairs.